verses 8 through 10. The Bible says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And so the theme for this morning's lesson is accountability and stewardship. Accountability and stewardship. So this idea of accountability is taught clearly in the Scripture, yet it's often looked down upon. It's often misunderstood. In fact, a lot of people rebel against the idea of accountability. Uh, Children rebel against sometimes the idea of being accountable to their parents. A a wife might uh, rebel against the idea of being accountable to her husband. Uh, A Christian might rebel against the idea of being accountable to God. Uh, And the list goes on and on. Employees might rebel against the idea of being accountable to an employer. Uh, In fact, accountability is something that most people try hard to avoid. Yeah, I want to remind us this morning that accountability is actually something that's very helpful. It's a blessing to be accountable. It's a blessing to have accountability in your life. Accountability provides three important things. First of all, accountability provides security. There's, There's a level of security in knowing that if I get too far off track, someone's going to be there to help me get back on track. You know, none of us want to do wrong. None of us want to end up in the gutter of life. None of us want to spend years only to figure out we were going the wrong way and doing the wrong stuff. And so being accountable means that that as soon as you start to get off track, there's someone there to remind you, hey, that's not the way you want to go. Think about like driving down the street. You have the yellow line on the left and the white line on the right. And those lines help you be accountable. Boy, if you start drifting over into the other lane into oncoming traffic, you've got a yellow line glaring at you saying, whoa, don't come over here. If you start getting off on the other side, you've got a white line that said, hey, don't go in the ditch. Yesterday I was driving down, uh, I was going south on Ministerial, and uh, there were three of us cars in a row, not too far apart, and the car in the front, all of a sudden I saw them go towards the side of the road and then jerk back. And uh, boy, I mean, they were just a moment from going into the the ditch, going off the road and probably hitting a tree. And uh, boy, you just saw them yank the car back. And uh, thankfully, they didn't get in that wreck. But accountability is there to say, hey, you're, you're getting out of your lane. You're, you're going in a place that, that's going to get you into trouble. And so it provides security. Second, it provides a safety net. When we're accountable and we do get off track a little bit, there's someone there to help us get back. So following the same analogy, God forbid if that person had gotten off the road, we were there, and my mind was if they had wrecked on the side of the road, I would have pulled over and run out and helped them. And boy, wouldn't it be a terrible thing to, on a cold, frigid day, to get in an accident on an old country road and there's nobody there to help you. Uh, And a lot of people, they don't understand whenever you reject accountability, when you say, 
I don't want anybody's input in my life. I'm not going to listen to anybody's instruction. I'm not going to have any teachers or mentors. What you're doing is walking a lonely, lonely road. And whenever you get in trouble, you're going to find that you don't have people there to help you. And then thirdly, accountability actually increases our productivity and helps us to get more done. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just flounder through life. I would like to do something good. I would like to make an impact. I would like to to be successful in the eyes of the Lord. I would like to be respectable. I would like to, at the end of my life, have done something that matters. And accountability helps with that. It keeps us on the right road, helps us if we get into trouble. But then also it increases our productivity and ensures that we're on a uh, a, a road of, of success. And so think about it this way. <clears throat> if if you are trying to fix the plumbing in your house and you have a friend that's a plumber who's willing to come over and help you, why wouldn't you call the plumber? If you, if you have a, an issue that needs help on your car and one of your friends is a mechanic and he says, hey, why don't you let me come over and help with that? No, I got it. Uh, or you go down to the mechanic and pay 500 bucks. Boy, you can't hardly walk out of a mechanic shop nowadays without paying 500 bucks for something. And uh, how foolish not to ask your friend or if your dad was, was uh, uh, knowledgeable in that. And so this idea of accountability, it actually increases our productivity. It increases our chances of success as we, ha- as we have people in our lives investing in us, teaching us how to do things better, more efficient, uh, and become more successful. And so... <clears throat> this idea of accountability is vital. Look at Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we see another mention of this concept of accountability. Matthew chapter 18, we have a a lengthy parable of the Lord here teaching some powerful truths. But look at verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And we need to begun to reckon, that's an accounting word that means just like you would reckon your bank account, like you would balance your checkbook. When he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. And so here we have the idea of accountability in the scripture. The king holds accountable his servants. And so we are accountable to God as well. In fact, whenever you study the Bible, you'll find that this idea of accountability runs all the way through the scripture. Now, what does it mean to give an account as we read in the Bible? Webster's 1828 Dictionary gives this answer. To render an account or relation of particulars. Number two, to give reasons to assign causes to explain. Number three, to render reasons. And so the idea is when someone calls you to account, the king calls his subjects to account, tell me what you've been doing. Tell me why you made that decision. Why did you go there? Why did you do that? Why did you uh, spend this money on this? Or why did you waste this money on that? There is an accounting where you have to give reasons. You have to explain your thinking. 
and your actions. The word accountable is similar. It means liable to be called to account or answerable to a superior. So the idea of being accountable is that we're answerable. We're answerable to people in our lives. And being being accountable means there are certain people in our lives that we uh, give an account to, that we give explanations to of our decisions and actions. Now, when you study the scripture, you'll see some of these people we're accountable to are actually relationships identified by God. I'm going to explain to you this morning that it's actually wise for you to choose other people to be accountable to as well for your safety and productivity. Here's an interesting thought. Christianity itself is built upon the idea of accountability. Why should you get saved? Because you're accountable to God. That's the purpose of salvation. You're going to give an account to God one of these days. Every person that breathes the breath of life must give an account to their creator. And you will either stand before him in your sin, if you're unsaved, or you will stand before him in the righteousness of Christ. But the reason why we get saved is because one of these days we're going to meet God. Every one of you have an appointment with God. And boy, if you're lost this morning, let me encourage you. Uh, stop what you're doing right now. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Confess him as your, as your Savior. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection for the pardon of your sins. Why? Because you're going to give an account to God. You are accountable. You say, well, I don't believe in God. Doesn't matter. He created you. You will stand before God someday. And so Christianity itself is based upon accountability. Furthermore, after we're saved, every believer must give an account to Christ. We just read that in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. This is an accounting. This is a reckoning. One of these days, we will stand before Christ. Christ will say, I have redeemed you. I have purchased you with my blood. Your body, your soul, your spirit belong to me. What did you do with them? What did you do for me? If we lived for him, it will be like gold, silver, and precious stones. The things we didn't do for him will be like wood, hay, and stubble, and they'll be burnt up. And we'll suffer loss seeing the difference between who we could have been and who we actually chose to be. And then we're going to see the difference and feel a sense of loss. And so Christianity itself is based upon accountability. When you look at life through the lens of accountability, you see it everywhere. The employee is accountable to the employer. The person who you work for, the person who signs your paycheck, you're accountable to them. They get to tell you when to show up for work and how long to work and what to do while you're there. I have been an employee. I have been an employer. And sometimes it's hard when you have an employee that doesn't recognize uh, their accountability to you. Uh, They just feel like you should write the checks and they get to do whatever they want. And ultimately, uh, I've been in a position where you either try to help them understand the reason why you're here. I'm paying you to do what I need done. You are accountable to that. 
And they'll either be like, oh, I understand now, or you have to let them go because there's an accountability there. If I'm ever looking for a job and I teach uh, young men how to, how to find a job, if I'm ever at an a, um, interview and I haven't been for years, been pastoring here for almost 18 years, was self-employed before that, uh, but if I've ever been at an interview to work for someone else, one of the things I'll tell them is, I understand my job. If you hire me, I understand my job is to do what you tell me to do and make you money. And right then, you got their attention. You know why? Because most employees don't feel that way. Most employees are there just to get through the day and get a paycheck on Friday. But to say, I understand accountability. I understand my job is to do what you tell me and make you money. Boy, you just kind of get bumped to the head of the line in that, in that place where you're uh, looking for a job. So accountability is everywhere. Marriages are built upon accountability. When you get married, you stand at an altar and you make vows to one another. I'll keep you only un, un, myself only unto you so long as we both shall live. Uh, I'll love you in uh, sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, and all of those things. And so th- there's an accountability there. Uh, I am accountable to my wife. My wife is accountable to me. Marriage is built upon accountability. Think about the family. The family structure is built upon accountability. Uh, The Bible says that the man is the head of the home. Well, who's he accountable to? He's accountable to God directly. And then the Bible says the wife is accountable to the husband. And then the Bible says the children are accountable to the parents. See, this idea of accountability goes all throughout the Scripture. And everywhere you look, we see God has built into the very fabric of our existence, our universe, our society, this idea of accountability. Creation is accountable to the laws of nature. Uh, You know, gravity affects apples and oranges and rocks and everything else. Uh, and, and, And so the constants of the universe, God has set things up to where creation itself even is based on this concept of accountability. By the way, uh, creation is accountable to God. One of these days, the Bible says when it comes time for God to judge everything, he's going to be angry. And the Bible says the heaven and earth will flee away. Uh, We see accountability everywhere throughout scriptures. Uh, So I I hope you see this. And, And my goal for this morning, one of my goals is to help us, especially Uh, young people, but all of us to say, I'm not going to run from accountability. This idea that it's my life and I'll do what I want, nobody gets to tell me what to do, that is a lie from the devil that leads to a life of sorrow and destruction. Because the truth is, we're all accountable. A young man told me one time, you know, I've heard people say it in illustrations for years, but I literally had a man Tell me one time, I'm tired of people telling me what to do. I'm going to join the army. I mean, he literally said that to my face in my office. And I'm like, I thought he was, I thought he was joking. I thought it was a punchline, and, and he wasn't joking. I started laughing. I said, are you serious? I said, you've heard me joke about this. You don't go to the army to get out of accountability. As soon as you show up, they're going to shave your head, take all your stuff, and teach you to say, yes, sir. But this idea that somehow we're going to escape accountability. Some people say, well, I'm tired of having a boss, so I'm going to start my own company. I'm going to start my own business. 
Well, then you don't have one boss. Now every customer's your boss. You're accountable to everybody. And so this idea that you can escape accountability somehow is a falsehood. It's a lie. It's a pipe dream. And so what we need to do is embrace this concept of accountability. Don't run from it. Embrace it. And the key is being accountable to the right people. Now let me say a few things here, and we'll be done with our Sunday school. God is not accountable to anyone. So we must understand that every human is accountable to somebody, typically multiple people. But God's not accountable to anyone. Look at the book of Job. Book of Job. <clears throat> and chapter 33. Look at Job 33, verses 12 and 13. Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. All right, so we'll all agree with that, won't we? God's greater than man. Verse 13, why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. Listen, one of the things we have to come to grips with is God's not accountable to anybody. We are ultimately accountable to God, but God's not accountable to anybody. Look at Daniel, the book of Daniel chapter 4. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, the Bible says, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, for he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? You see, everybody on earth is accountable to somebody. However, God is not accountable to anyone. You can't demand anything of God. He doesn't have to give an account to you. He doesn't have to answer to you. He does what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, why he wants, how he wants. And there's nothing anybody can do about it. God is sovereign. He is the King of kings. And He is the Lord of lords. Now the good news is that God Almighty is not uh, a tyrant. In fact, He's loving. He's kind. He's generous. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. However, he's also a God of justice and judgment and equity, not the equity that you hear politicians and, and weirdos talk about today, this warped, vile sense of equity. No, but true equity. God is a God of justice, judgment, and equity. He's fair, but he will hold us accountable. And every person breathing the breath of life will stand before their Creator. Every Christian will stand before their Savior. So God is not accountable to anyone. On the other hand, we are accountable to God and man. And so let me just give you a few areas today where you can settle your accountability 
and you can begin to enjoy the blessings of embracing biblical, biblical accountability and having that speed you along the path to success versus fighting against it. Uh, so number one, we are accountable to the Savior. We read in Matthew 18, 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. So we're accountable to, the, to God as creator. And then we're, once we get saved, we're accountable to Christ in the matter of service, Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Did you get that? Every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. One of these days, you are going to stand before God, just you, not you and your wife, not you and your children, not you and your parents, not you and your friends, just you. This is why it's so important that as much as we receive strength and joy from the relationships in our life, we have to be willing to separate that and say, I'm going to serve God. It doesn't matter what my friends do, I'm going to serve God. Doesn't matter what my family does, I'm going to serve God. Doesn't matter what, what my peers do, I'm going to serve God. Doesn't matter what the world does, because one of these days it will be just you. You will stand before Him, I will stand before Him. And God doesn't take excuses. Well, you know, my wife, <coughs> no excuses. Well, you know, my, no excuses. Well, you know, my situation, no excuses. The truth is we have to stop being victims. Stop acting like you have no choice in the matter. Stop acting like, well, anybody else in my situation would do the same thing. No, God has given you free will. He has given you agency. You have a mind and a will and a heart. You get to decide. And God will hold me and he will hold you accountable for those decisions. What did I choose? Maybe the decks were stacked against us, but we still could have done right. <coughs> Maybe it was difficult, but we still could have done right. Maybe it was hard to obey, but we still could have obeyed. And so we are accountable to the Savior. We need to settle that. And that accountability is good. It provides safety. It keeps us on track. You know, the fact that we remind ourselves often that we're going to give an account to God will change how we live. Now, why should I go to church today? I'm going to give an account to God. Why should I read my Bible? Why should I pray? Why should I pass out a track or tell people about Jesus, strive to win souls? Why? Why should I strive to live a separated life and, and live a godly life in my home or, or do right when nobody's around? I'm going to give an account to God. See, it changes everything. Just like when the, a child remembers the parent is right there looking over their shoulder, and there's an accountability. When an employer is working and the boss is right there, there's an accountability. See, dear friend, just because you can't see God doesn't mean He's not there. And there's still an accountability. And it changes how we live. Without accountability, it's easy to get off track. Start partaking in foolishness, wasting time, money, talents, opportunity. But when we realize we're accountable to the Savior and we embrace it, 
It keeps us on track. Number two, we're accountable to self. This is something that I think is lost in our modern day. You're accountable to yourself. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And look at verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and do it not, to him it is what? Sin. What's a sin? It's a violation. It's a transgression. It's a trespass. Here's the, the fact is that if I know what is right and I don't do what is right, then it's a sin. Not just a sin to God, but I'm actually sinning against my own conscience. I am violating my own sense of right and wrong. And there are consequences to that. Humanism teaches people that they are gods. They can do whatever they want without consequence. They get to decide what's right and wrong. They get to decide what to do, and they shouldn't have to give an account to anybody. Matter of fact, today... People will expect you to agree with their reality. Craziness. Demanding that the whole world bend to however they feel that day. Or you're born a man. Well, I feel like a woman today. You all better use the right pronoun or I'll shame you. In some countries like Canada, they may even sue you. You may even go to jail for publicly misgendering somebody because you didn't bow to their own view of themselves. Someone born a woman, well, I feel like a man today. My wife and I, of course, with her being so sick, all of our time spent together is usually spent in the bedroom. And uh, a lot of times we'll watch Food Network together. And so we turned on a show and it was a food cooking competition, and they had two drag queens on there. I mean, like this is a cooking competition. Two men dressed like women, full makeup, and it's like, I was looking to see who's going to cook a scallop, not get this stuff put in my face. What'd you do? We turned it off. I don't watch that junk. But see, the world is actually pushing this. Well, well, of course you should bow to that. They, they want to dress that way. Then what's the problem? It's their life. The problem is it's wrong. The problem is it's a fiction. And I've got to be true to myself. Yes, I've got to be true to God, but I can't violate my own conscience. If it's right, I want to do right. If it's wrong, I don't want to do wrong. And every time we violate our own conscience, every time we say, I know I should, but I won't, it's a violation. Every time we say, I know I shouldn't, but I will, it's a violation. And one of the consequences of that is you begin to hate yourself. Job 42, 6 says, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. 
One of the, the terrible byproducts of sin is self-hatred. We feel the consequences when we don't measure up to what we know is right. We can sin against ourselves. We can violate our own morality. We can offend our own honor. We can sin against our own integrity. And what happens is you look in the mirror and you're disgusted by what you see. The goal ought to be to live in such a way that you look in the mirror and you can live with that. I'm not talking about your looks. I'm talking about you. It's more important who you are. We're not human doings. We're human beings. Who are you trying to be? And, of course, the ultimate goal of the Christian is to be like Jesus. Amen? And so it's vital that we understand we're not only accountable to God, we're accountable to ourselves. We must do what we know is right. Live in such a way we can look in the mirror and like what we see. I'm saying number three, we're accountable to our spouse. I mentioned this already. I won't belabor the point, but when you got married, you were saying, I'm going to be accountable to you. Um, I think you both ought to follow a budget. Agree on it and follow it. You both ought to follow a schedule. You ought to talk about changes and, and different ways you're going to do things. You ought to agree on large purchases. You ought to realize that the very relationship of marriage says, I'm accountable to you and you're accountable to me. And here's, here's a danger that we have in the modern concepts of marriage. In this day and age, too many people think of everything as separate. His money and her money. What about our money? His car and her car. His career, her career. His interests, her interests. His life, her life. Let me tell you, friend, that's dangerous. I'm not saying that you shouldn't both have interests and you shouldn't both have uh, possessions and things, but as soon as you start separating these things in your heart and mind and saying, that's yours and this is mine, you're in trouble. Because you didn't get married to be separate, you got married to be one. People act like a modern marriage is simply an agreement to live together and share some stuff. That's not what marriage is. Listen to these verses, Matthew 19, 4 through 6, And he answered and said to them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Those are familiar verses, but they're still relevant today. God made you one when you were married, and the world is trying to divide you asunder, trying to pull you apart. Don't fall for it. There's an accountability. It's not yours and mine, it's ours. The wife is accountable to the husband as the head of the home. The husband is accountable to God as the head of the home. But the Bible also teaches that there is a sense that we are accountable to each other. Ephesians 5.21 in the context of marriage says, Submitting yourselves... To one another. Why? In the fear of God. 
I often tell people when I'm doing marriage counseling and stuff, it's not whether you're right or you're right, it's who is closest to what God thinks. And if the husband's closer to what God thinks, if he agrees with God, he's right. And if the wife agrees with God, she's right. It's not, a, it's not this concept of trying to win an argument. It's a let's all get on God's page, not trying to get one another on each other's page. <clears throat> For example, there's a lot of husbands that just think a wife doesn't need to know where he's at. I think that part of the accountability of marriage is my wife should get to know where I'm at any time. Where are you going? None of your business. Well, boy, that, that's going to engender trust, <laughs> you know. No. Matter of fact, nowadays you can follow each other on your phones. You don't have the Find Me app and be stalking each other. Uh, I don't recommend that. That's not, a, that's not a good thing. I wonder what he's doing. Why is he at Dunkin' Donuts again? You know, it's, it's uh, the spirit has to be right. But at the same time, there's an accountability. I think that uh, <clears throat> although the man's in charge, for example, and he, he should not be so in a controlling manner, but a loving one. For example, it's not right for a husband to tell a wife she can't afford makeup, toiletries, groceries, and then go out and buy whatever he wants. That's unwise. There should be an accountability. There should be a togetherness. And so... Uh, a husband and wife should agree, agree on budgets. They should talk out schedules. They should include one another in their thoughts, in the decisions. And while the husband must make the final determination because he is accountable to God, a wise husband will include his wife and get her, her thoughts. I often tell men, if you're not listening to your wife, you're thinking with half your brain. You're, you're going to be smarter, wiser, better to talk things out and to listen rather than just going it on your own. All right, let me say, <clears throat> lastly, we should be accountable to systems. So we should be accountable to the Savior. We should be accountable to self. We should be accountable to spouse. We should be accountable to systems. What does that mean? We should put systems in place to help us. Look at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And so there's a biblical principle here. We want to focus on being faithful with the little things, and then that gives us the ability and the trustworthiness to be faithful with the big things. One of the great mistakes is when we live loose with the small things, but we're waiting for that big opportunity to come. And the truth is the big opportunity is probably not going to come until you pay attention to the small things. Uh, take everything as an important responsibility. Strive for excellence in all things. One way you do that is you set up systems, you set up procedures, you set up habits. Habits are a way to automate success. Aren't you thankful that most of you who tied your shoes today, it didn't take you five minutes to tie your shoes? Remember when you were first trying to tie your shoes and 
boy, you had to think about it and which goes where, and then you got to pull it here and then this, and oh, it all fell apart, and you got to try it again. And it was hard to learn how to tie your shoes. And then, but once you get it, you spend the rest of your life tying your shoes countless times without even thinking about it. Why? It's automated, it's a habit. And habits are God's way of automating success so we don't have to think through every little thing. When you first start driving, man, you're gripping that wheel and you're watching the road and man, you're every little thing, every little bump in the road, every action around you, you're paying attention to, you're scared half to death. Boy, and then some people years later, you know, you see women driving down the road putting on makeup while they're driving, you know, they got the visor down, their head's all up, they're putting on mascara, driving down the road, it's like, good night, you know, you see guys with a phone in one, on, on one shoulder, a coffee in the other, a donut hanging out their mouth, you know, driving down the road, it's, it's automated, now you got to be careful, you're going to get yourself in trouble, bad habits are the same way, bad habits are automated failure. So we have to pay attention in our lives to create positive, good habits that automate success, remove bad habits that are, keep causing us to trip up and fail, and then implement systems in our lives that help us stay on the right path. For example, here's some systems you ought to think about. A morning routine. Have a morning routine that you just know what you're going to do every day when you get up. It ought to include things like get a shower if you need a shower if you didn't take one last night. Getting dressed, that's a good thing. Eating, reading your Bible, praying, you know, that ought to be all part of a morning routine. Uh, how about a budget? A budget is automated success. How many of us just spend money willy-nilly and then you get down to the 20th of the month and you, you, you got more month than money? Well, stop doing that. <laughs> you know, live by budget. Pay attention to your money and then you can have more money than you have month. What about a schedule? Well, I just don't have enough time. You know, I read something recently just this week that it said the average American adult spends five hours a day on electronics. Not for work, for recreation. Five hours a day on phones, tablets, game systems, TV. I don't have 10 minutes to read my Bible. I don't have time to go to church. You spent 35 hours this week looking at screens. And so it's not a matter of we don't have enough time. Oftentimes it's a matter of priority. And all of us have been down that rabbit hole of, you know, you, you go to YouTube to look something up, and then 45 minutes later you come up from air after watching cat videos. It's like, what just happened? You know, or watching people blow stuff up or, or whatever. It's like, what, what just happened? I just wasted all this time. Uh, you know, Netflix and all these other things, they are set up to keep you watching. They don't even ask you if you want to watch the next one. They just throw it on for you within five seconds. I'll just start it. Oh, then it's in it. I'll just start the next one. Next thing you know, you've watched 15 episodes of something. The house is trashed. The kids need to eat. The, the lawn's not mowed, this and that. And it's like, what's, what's going on? No, a schedule helps you prioritize your life and get the right things done. What about an evening routine? A date night with your spouse. My wife and I, we just, we, my husband and I, we just don't feel like we're getting any time together. Make it happen with a date night. What about a family night? An exercise plan, a meal plan, plan out your meals. Well, I just want to eat better. Plan it out rather than just waiting. Uh, you know, healthy food takes time to, to plan and prepare. And if you're eating on the run, it's probably not going to be good for you. Right? What about a Bible reading schedule? We have our Bible reading schedules this year in the back. 
a prayer journal to make sure that you have your, your prayer life in, in a good rhythm. So the idea is use procedures to get in a good rhythm and automate your success. I'll just mention the last two. These are systems that we put in place. The Bible says, Hebrews 13, 17, that the pastor should be part of your accountability process. He's going to give an account for you. You should include him in your Christian life. And then lastly, choose partners to be accountable to. So we all ought to have people, of course, our parents, spouse, pastor, boss. These are people that God has decided will be a part of that accountability pool. But you ought to decide. Maybe there's a Christian friend that you want to be accountable to. Maybe there's a, a good man in the church that you're struggling with something and you, you talk to him about it and you say, you know, I want to be accountable to you in this. Check me on this every week. These could be areas such as your walk with God, emotional health, mental state, decision-making, morality, financial goals, life-changing decisions, follow-throughs on commitments. So it's not just that you talk to them, it's that these people, you give them permission to come up to you and say, hey, how are you doing your Bible reading this week? And don't rebel against that. Embrace it. You know, I'm, I'm struggling. And then they help you get back on track. Or you can say, hey, man, I'm doing great. And they give you some encouragement. You know, you're struggling with morality. Have someone there to be accountable to. You're struggling with financial goals or decision-making. You know, where someone can say, you know, I just I see you making this decision. I'm just a little concerned about it. Can, can you explain to me what your thinking is here? And rather than take that as an assault or an offense... These are people that you've given permission and you're going to give an account to. See how that works? What Accountability in stewardship is so vital. If you run from accountability, you're going to run to failure. Just the way it works. But if you embrace accountability and you're accountable to the right people, it's going to speed your success. But here's a danger. Sometimes you feel accountable to the wrong people, and that brings bondage. You know, it shouldn't matter what the Twitter mob, mob says about you. It shouldn't matter what a thousand fake friends on Facebook think about you. Hey, just not all of them are your friends. Okay, just, just letting you know that. Never met them, never saw them. Oh, my friends, they're mad at me. It's, you've got to decide who matters. Who are you going to allow to affect you? And then you pay attention to those people, be accountable to those people, and you'll have success. Feeling accountable to the wrong people is bondage. Being accountable to the right people is success. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth. Pray that you'd help us all to embrace this concept of accountability. And, of course, ultimately we're accountable to you. And I pray that we'd embrace that and stay on track. Pray you bless the service to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church will start in about eight minutes.
Saving grace, so abundant and free, brought me liberty one day. Jesus. 
can't describe what I'm feeling inside, for Jesus has lifted me. Life now is sweet, my joy is complete, he's mine for eternity. on his throne that is whiter than snow in that city that is made of gold and they tell me that he smiles on his children there and his smile drives their sorrows all away and they tell me that no tears ever come again in that lovely land of unclouded Yeah. 
just no language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. child and forever I am. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. His love is the theme of my song. His love is the theme of
Good morning, everyone. Let's take our hymnals and turn to number 380. Number 380. We're starting a few minutes late. I've missed everybody. I just talked to you all morning, but we got to get the show on the road. Let's all stand. Jesus saves. Let's sing it like we're saved this morning. <clears throat> number 380. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, bear the news to every land, <coughs> waves, onward tis our Lord's command, Jesus saves. On that last, give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let the nations now rejoice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Shout salvation full and free. High as hills. <laughs> Song of victory. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the chance to gather in your house this morning. We're grateful that we can be here to honor you, to worship you. And Lord, it's flu season. There's a lot of that going around. I pray that you'd be with those who can't be here this morning, that you'd get them back on their feet quickly. Uh, we sure do miss them. But Lord, thank you for these that are here, and I pray that you'd bless each one with your abundant blessing. Speak to our hearts. Help us to get the year off to a great start. Pray you'd bless our vision night tonight and all the wonderful things that you have planned for this year. Give us a vision for them. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored by our worship, by our praise, and then, Lord, that you would make us more like you through the preaching that we pray this morning. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I've turned to number one. <clears throat> I'm glad to be back with you. Missed two Sundays. And uh, one of my Christmas presents was that I got sick on Christmas Eve. And so, uh, sick for Christmas Eve and Christmas, New Year's Eve and New Year's. One of my barometers of how sick I am is if I have to stop drinking coffee. And if I have to stop drinking coffee, you know I'm in a bad way. And I didn't drink coffee for days. I mean, it was terrible. And even this morning, I made me a nice cup, but um, still not back 100% yet, so it still didn't have the magic that it normally has. But uh, looking forward to it. And so thanks for praying for us. And then if you would continue praying for Sarah, she was doing better. And then uh, about three days ago, she took a little bit of a turn for the worse. She's got some chest congestion and stuff we're keeping an eye on. And then the Pashas ended up uh, getting sick this last week. I told Brother Pash on the phone, I said, if you, know, if you needed some days off, you didn't have to get sick. All you had to do is ask. I'd have been happy to, to give you a few days off. But it is flu season, and there's stuff going around. Omicron's going around, which thankfully isn't as uh, hard on most people as the other variants were. And then, uh, of course, normal flu's going around, too. People forget that, hey, there's just the flu out there. And some people are getting that. 
the best thing, you say, what are you going to do about it? I'm just going to keep living. I'm going to eat right, pray, take my vitamins. I've, I've took more vitamins in the last two weeks than you can imagine. But I'm uh, going to take the vitamins, eat right, pray, trust the Lord, and just keep on living. And if it's my time to go home, I hope you all come to my funeral. But uh, until then, we're just going to keep on going along. And uh, the, I was told years ago that the wicked never die young anyway, so I don't have much to worry about. <clears throat> but uh, just joking, of course. All right, number one, my faith has found a resting place. Number one. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one, his words for me shall plead. I need no other argument, I need no other Sends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. Jesus died and that he. My heart is leaning on the word. My heart is leaning on the word, the written word of God. Salvation by my Savior's name, salvation through his blood. On that last, my great physician heals the sick. Amen. For me, his precious blood he shed. For me, his life he Number 26, number 26, <clears throat> come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace, dreams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise, number 26. Streams of mercy 
never ceasing flow from songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above hear the mind <clears throat> mount of ivory redeeming on the last oh to grace how great a debtor daily i'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee prone to <clears throat> Amen. Well, let's get out our hymn, our not our hymnals, our bulletins. If you don't have a bulletin, lift your hand. The ushers will come through and get you one. It's got this cover on it, best year ever. And so if you need one, lift your hands. Looked like the ushers did a good job getting those out. Let's take a moment and look through it. We're grateful for our uh, weekly services. Looking forward to our evening service tonight at 6 o'clock. Now, tonight is a special night, Vision Night. We were supposed to have Vision Night last Sunday night, but I wasn't able to be here, so we've moved it to this Sunday night. And I know that there's some who are either out of town or uh, not able to be with us this weekend because of illness, and they were concerned if it was going to be uh, streamed online, and it will be. Uh, you'll be able to watch that just in our normal live stream but tonight we will uh, go over our blessings for 2021. We have a, a nice recap video, and I've seen, uh, watched it again yesterday, and some of you have beautiful pictures in there, and uh, uh, looking forward to that. And then we will be revealing our theme for 2022. I'm excited about it, and then some of our highlights, uh, and we have a gift to give away tonight for everyone as well. So that's tonight in our 6 o'clock service, Vision Night. <clears throat> and then uh, this coming Friday, we have a youth trip uh, to Holyoke, Massachusetts. It's a youth rally. If teenagers are interested in going to that, you can see me. It's actually a Friday and Saturday event. I'm not able to go Saturday, but I am able to take the young people on Friday. And so... Uh, sign up or see me if you're interested in that. And then a couple things looking ahead. Men's Chili Supper, get that on the calendar, men. Uh, January 28th, that's a Friday this year. It's always been on a Thursday. Last year we did it on a Friday. It worked out really well. This year we're going to do it on a Friday again. And so 7 o'clock, men and boys invited. Bring your best chili and get ready for a good time. And then just giving you a heads up on some of our uh, February events, Ladies Bible Study, uh, Monday night on February 7th, that's a good time of fellowship, and then our sweetheart dinner, Friday night, February 11th, 7 o'clock here at the church, so just a couple things to look forward to. <clears throat> Let me give you a few announcements here. Uh, we want to pray for a lot of folks, there's a lot of things to pray about. We want to pray for the Pashas, they're not feeling well. 
course, we want to continue praying for Cheryl Sherman. Uh, she's uh, been struggling. And then, of course, we want to pray for Yuko, the Higgs family. Uh, we want to pray for the Lewis Reed Parker families in their recent loss. Uh, Brother Rich had his dad's funeral yesterday, and the family did a good job honoring the Lord. And then, of course, praying for Ethan and Christine. This is Christine lost both grandpas here just within a week or so of each other. And so we're really praying for you folks, uh, and the Lord will sustain you. We want to pray for, of course, Brenda uh, with Don's home going. And then Don Lewis's funeral will be this coming Saturday, January 15th at 11 a.m., Wood River Baptist Church, right down the road here on 138. <clears throat> and so be in prayer for the family there. And then this morning I heard from Joe Parent yesterday, he told me that their daughter Sherry actually had a, uh, a tear in her bowel and had serious surgery, going to be in the hospital for two weeks, and then uh, she's going to live with them for a while. It's going to be a, a little bit of a lengthy recovery, so we need to pray for Sherry. And this morning he texted me and said that Marilyn's mom passed away last night, Phyllis. So uh, they have all those details to work out. So pray for Marilyn, pray for Joe as he's uh, really the strength of, of the family there and for wisdom. A lot of things to pray about. And if you would <clears throat> pray for Sarah, I mentioned it earlier, but this, uh, some of the congestion from our recent illness has seems to settle in her chest. We're keeping a close eye on her oxygen level and um, uh, all of that, but it's been a daily conversation whether or not she needs to go in uh, to the hospital and get looked over and such. So it's not a normal situation for her to go to the hospital as it would be for you because of all of her other issues. And then the way emergency medicine has changed in the last 15 years, they really just are making sure that you're not dying. So a lot of times if she does need to go in, they don't pay attention to all of her existing issues. Uh, and so... I'm always there to kind of mediate that and be her advocate, but now they're saying that I probably wouldn't be able to stay with her. So <clears throat> thankfully, the Lord has been sustaining her. She told me uh, a day or so ago that we really needed to get some people praying because she felt a lack of prayer, and I know many of you have prayed more since then, and yesterday she was feeling a little bit better about all that. So if you would continue to pray for her, we would appreciate it. A lot of things to pray about. Uh, and then we want to pray for Amy Rose and her upcoming wedding. Uh, her and Peter getting married on February 4th. And there is a bridal shower for Amy Rose here at the church, 2 p.m. on January 22nd. And they're registered at Target under Peter Chamberlain Jr. If you'd like to be a blessing there. Let's pray about these things. Father, thank you that we have some wonderful things to rejoice about and praying about these great opportunities such as the upcoming wedding. We're grateful for two young people that have strived to honor you and want to get married in a way that would please you and then live serving you. Pray that you just work out all those details. Pray for Amy Rose's health and that you would strengthen her and help Peter get everything ready on his end. But just bless the family there and their family in the future. Then, Lord, we have a lot of things to pray about that are on our hearts. We do pray for Joe and Marilyn and for Sherry and Phyllis's family. 
and all of the details there. Please take care and, and just help them. We pray for all the people that are under the weather with the flu or with this Omicron variant of the virus. Just pray that you'd help all of them get back on their feet uh, in a quick way. And Lord, these illnesses hit others much harder, hit some much harder than others. And our hearts are heavy for the people who have suffered loss, humanly speaking, with um, Brother Reed going to heaven and uh, Brother Lewis. But Lord, we're thankful for heaven, and we know that you will comfort and give grace. We pray that you would just cover and cocoon these families with grace and mercy and strength as they go through this time. And Lord, we've got some of our members that have been struggling for months now. We do pray for Cheryl Sherman, that you'd have mercy on her, give the doctors wisdom, give her favor in the eyes of her insurance company, help her be able to take care of all of those things. We pray for Ethel in the nursing home. We pray for Yuko, who's been sick for some time. And Lord, just so many things we could pray about, all these we've mentioned. We turn these things over to you. We ask that you'd give all of us good health and strength. And Lord, that we'd keep our eyes toward heaven. What a wonderful day it is every day to be able to wake up and to live and to serve you. Thank you for the health and strength to be here at church. Pray that you bless the rest of our service. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right. Let me give you a couple more announcements. We have some beginning of the year items in the book corner in the fellowship hall. Uh, there are some study aids. I think Nancy Lynn said she set up a special table for beginning of the year things. And so there's some study aids. There's some journals. Uh, there are uh, some pens. I, I use a very specific pen to write in my Bible. It's a pen that is... Um, High quality, it doesn't bleed through the pages. It's very, very small tips, so you can write in the Bible without just becoming all messy. There's some of those over there, and a lot of good things. If you're going to start the year off right, you want to start with a good relationship with God's Word. All right, I think the rest of that can wait. I've got a whole list of people here um, under the weather. And so we'll pray for them again this evening. All right, gentlemen, you may come forward for the offering. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that good testimony. Brother Don's a good man and uh, he's got a good legacy. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing that. Glad he led you to the Lord. All right, I'm going to ask Brother Josh Davis to bless the offering, please. Dear Father, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for the ability to 
gather in your house this morning, Lord, to be able to worship you on a, on a Sunday morning like this, Lord. So just thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the offering this morning, Lord. I pray that you'll bless the gift and the giver. And may you uh, bless the sermon that's to come shortly, Lord, that we will learn something from it. Lord, thank you for what you do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. to the scriptures this morning. We'll turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, book of Jeremiah. Chapter Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> Let me just say I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's, uh, it's hard not to be in church. I'm grateful for you folks being here and uh, for the others that will be back. We've got a few out of town and others that are not feeling well, but I'm so thankful to be in church. No place like the house of the Lord. We'll look at Jeremiah chapter 29, and we'll read verses 10 through 14. Verses 10 through 14, we'll read them responsively. We'll read the even verses together, and I'll read the odd verses alone. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14, the Word of God says, for thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me, and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations, and from all the places Whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place 
whence I cause you to be carried away captive. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of these scriptures. I'm glad that you did not forsake the children of Israel, that you had good things in store for them. And I'm glad we know through the scriptures and through the Spirit of God, the same is true for us today. I pray that you'd encourage our hearts, help us to receive strength and joy in believing, and that you would lift up our eyes and help us to have a vision of all that could be accomplished for you this year. Give us, Lord, our best year ever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we've had a tough couple years as a nation, as a world, really. Went into 2020, nobody expecting all the craziness that took place. The end of last year, a lot of people were hoping and expecting a better year in 2021, and in many ways it was better, but in some ways it was more discouraging as we saw uh, people try to take advantage of the bad things going on in the world, politicians who had gotten a certain amount of power that uh, are really happy about it and unwilling to give it up, Uh, a culture that has tried to use the difficulties of the world to push their own foolish and unbiblical, ungodly agendas, Uh, difficulties just of everyday life, Uh, people being locked down or being sick, Uh, and then now inflation uh, setting in where, boy, you go to the store. I was talking to someone uh, just a week or so ago, and they said, I I caught them at the store, and they're checking out. And I said, well, call me when you're done. And uh, they called me back when they were in the car in the parking lot. And they said, I just spent 100 bucks on groceries. I just went in there and got a couple bags of stuff. Like 100 bucks. I said, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. Uh, it's a little bit discouraging. Uh, we see uh, the inflation happening. And then uh, if they're not raising the prices, they're giving you less of whatever you thought you were paying for. Uh, we eat a certain protein bar that is uh, healthy. Uh, and boy, it just keeps shrinking. It's, they're not raising the price, but the, the pa- and what's what's telling is they won't pay for a new package, so the package is the same. The bar inside just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and pretty soon it's going to look like a Scooby snack. You know, you're just in there, just like one little thing in this big long package. And uh, you know, some of you remember back when you used to get a gallon of ice cream, and then it was a half gallon of ice cream, and then it was a quartern of three quarters, and then a quart and a half, and then a quart and a quarter, and pretty soon they're all going to be like that little Ben and Jerry's size where you're paying five or six bucks for that, and I can't really eat ice cream, but uh, I see the the problems and the issues. You know, people are just kind of beat up, uh, just going through uh, some difficulties. You keep thinking you're going to turn the corner and something else happens, watching uh, our American government make foolish decision after foolish decision being embarrassed on the world stage with things like the pullout from Afghanistan to crazy financial philosophies to the, the crazy unbiblical wokeism that's permeating. I mean, the average American Christian just looks at the world and says, what is going on? Just getting beat up, tired, worn out. 
Someone who'd been sick recently just told me, they said, I'm just tired. I'm just feel like I'm worn down from just being sick and, you know, just emotionally worn down and physically worn down. And uh, the, the snow is beautiful, but boy, the gray skies and the cold weather. And for some of you, that's like a, a form of oppression that just kind of hangs in the, the sky and looking forward to some sunshine in the spring. All of this kind of adds up. Now, when you take a step back and you look at things from a spiritual standpoint, if you pull back the veil between the physical world and the spiritual, you also see that Satan is trying to use all of these things to discourage you, to magnify the things that are negative, to minimize the things that are positive. I was talking to someone recently, and they were a little bit negative, and they're like, well, nothing good's going on. I'm like, nothing? <laughs> you know, well, God's just let me down. Say what? You're breathing, aren't you? You know, you go, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And so Satan works to maximize every negative thing in our life. <clears throat> and then he tries to take every good thing and make them look small and insignificant. There's a spiritual battle going on. Satan wants to hide God and his goodness and his work in your life. He wants you to forget that God has a plan for your life, that God's not done with you yet, that God has good things in store for you. He wants you to be paralyzed uh, to not step out by faith. He, he doesn't want us to tell people about Christ. He doesn't want us to uh, get into the word and find strength. He doesn't want us to spread the good news of the gospel Satan wants churches to be closed or empty. He wants God's people to be sad and discouraged. Well, my friend, I come to you this morning with good tidings from the Lord. And I believe that we can have the best year ever with God's help. I'm here to remind you this morning that no one wants to have another year, another lousy year of mediocrity, another year of failure. And the Bible tells us how we can encourage our hearts in the Lord and how we can take some simple steps to make this year a good year. In our text, we find the children of Israel are in captivity. Some had been carried off to Babylon. They were captives in a strange country. The language was different. The music was different. The morals were different. The priorities were different. Everything was strange and it was hard and discouraging. They'd lost friends and family and homes and fortunes and futures. The prophet Ezekiel was sent to Babylon with them to minister to this remnant, this captive remnant in Babylon. The prophet Jeremiah had stayed behind and while the Babylonians took uh, some of the rich and the the connected and the, the ones with the great potential, trained and, and equipped to be a blessing and, and a help to the communities and to the nation. Those were carried off to Babylon. There was a remnant left behind in Israel. But it was a destroyed place. When the armies of Babylon came into Israel, they had destroyed everything. They had knocked down walls and destroyed homes and just uh, shattered cities. All of the fields that were usually lush with harvest were trampled and used. Beautiful trees were cut down for 
fences and bulwarks and weapons of war. I mean, if you were to step outside what, what used to be a beautiful view of the promised land, everything was barren and destroyed and rubble. And some of the Israelites were left behind to scrape by a meager living. The people were suffering. And of course, they were seeking comfort. But as he always does, Satan sent false prophets to give fake hope. They were saying good things and promising good things, but for the wrong reasons in the wrong way, and it was not from the Lord. Friends, we've got to understand that whenever you're struggling, Satan will send a false prophet to tell you the wrong things. Well, you know, you'd be better off if you just stopped going to church. Really? You know, you'd have more money if you didn't tithe. Really? People think better of you if you just didn't talk about Jesus and you didn't take a stand publicly and you just kept your morals to yourself as the world's changing. That, that's the way to path, the path to prosperity, the devil says. But it's all lies. And so Satan sends false prophets to the Israelites and whether it's in Babylon or whether it's in uh, the promised land here, they're having good messages but for the wrong motives and with the wrong methods. So God, as he often does, sends a true prophet, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was going to tell people the truth. And his message was, although you are suffering now, God is not done with you yet. After their captivity the Lord would restore their fellowship with himself and he would fulfill all the plans he had for them. See, the captivity was not an end of God's blessing. It was a pause because of their sin. But God was not done with them yet. This portion of scripture should encourage our hearts. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. Read this wonderful verse with me, Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. The Bible says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Isn't that a blessing? God was saying, hey, I know you're discouraged, but I know the thoughts I have towards you. You might be thinking wrong thoughts. Oh, God's forsaken me, perhaps you think. Oh, God's mad at me, perhaps you think. God's done with me, perhaps you think. But God says, I know the thoughts I have toward you. I know the plans that I have for you. They're thoughts of peace, not of evil. God said, I'm not trying to make your life more difficult. I'm not here just to keep judging and judging. He said, I have good things in store for you. And thanks be to God that we can say the same thing today. God has good things in store for His people. Yes, folks, it may be a bumpy road we're driving down, but God is not done with us yet. There may be difficulty, but God is not done with us yet. There may be storms of rain and thunder and lightning, but God is not done with us yet. 
if you're still breathing, God is not done with you. That would encourage your heart. Ah, I'd be better off if I was in heaven. Well, that'd be true for all of us. But the truth is, if you're still breathing, God's not done with you yet. He's got a plan, and it's a good plan. If you could see the plan God has for you, you'd be like, wow, that's a good plan. I, I want that to happen. That's what I want. The truth is, if, if you were to write down everything you wanted, and I'm not talking about the foolish worldly stuff, oh, I want a Corvette, and I want a Hummer, and I want a mansion on Ocean Road and all that, all that kind of stuff. You know, you get to a place in life where all that stuff's meaningless. It's better to be poor and loved than to be rich and hated. It's better to have less uh, physical things but have more of the things money can't buy than to have all the things money can buy and be alone and sad and broken. Folks, we are rich. The truth is, don't just look at your bank account. Look at your family. Look at your spouse. Think about your children. Think about your church family. Think about your salvation. The truth is, we are rich as God's people. And if we're still breathing, God's not done with us yet. I love Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Let's turn to it. Philippians chapter 1. <coughs> it's a good verse for everybody to mark and memorize. Philippians chapter 1. And look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Folks, there are some things that you should be confident of as a Christian. And one of the things you should be confident in is that God's not done with you yet. God started good things in you when you were conceived in your mother's womb. And God will perform all of his plans for you until one of these days you see Jesus. And you ought to be confident of that. You ought to be confident in your salvation. You ought to be confident in the sovereignty of God. And you ought to be confident that God is not done with you. Hebrews 13.5 says, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Oh, dear friend, don't, don't stay down. Don't, don't stay beat up. The Bible says a just man falleth seven times. Oh, but he riseth up again. And yes, you may get knocked down by life. You may get knocked down by circumstance. You might have health difficulties or even tragedies in your life or saying goodbye to loved ones or watching your, your, your retirement dwindle or be worried about the finances and have relationship trouble. You may be concerned about the future as a young person wondering what's the future going to look like for me? Will I ever get married? How am I, I going to have kids in this wicked world? All of those things can be a crushing weight upon you. But one thing you should never forget, one thing you should always be confident of, is that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We will have some hard times in this world of woe. But God has promised He would be with us through it all. 
I want to encourage you this morning. You can have a good year. Matter of fact, why stop there? You could have the best year ever. You say, well, why should I have my best year ever? I ask you a better question. Why not? (laughs) Why not have the best year ever? Do you want to have a lousy year? Do you want to be miserable? Do you want to play the victim? Uh, The truth is some people do. Some people find comfort in being negative. Some people have decided that it's better to expect bad things rather than to be disappointed. What a terrible way to live. What a terrible way. Listen, anybody can be down and gloom and glum. And boy, if you can predict bad things, you'll just make sure they happen. You know, sometimes they become self-fulfilling prophecies. Oh, it's going to be a terrible year. Well, that attitude, it probably will be. Jesus says, as ye have believed, so be it unto you. And there is an element where God says, you get to choose. If you think it's going to be a terrible year, you're probably right. If you think you're going to have a lousy time, you're probably right. Because no matter how hard people try, that's what you've decided. You're subconsciously going to make it happen. But why not decide, hey... God's got good things in store. I'm going to have a good year. It's going to be a victorious year. No, it's not going to be easy. No, everything's not going to go necessarily the way that I want. But I know God has good things in store for me. And I know the thoughts He thinks of me. And they are thoughts of peace and not evil. Today, unbiblical thinking prevails. Many ungodly people extol the virtue of victimhood. You know, the truth is, folks, you get to decide whether you're a victim or you're a victor. I'm not talking about you can't necessarily control the circumstances that are out of your control, but you get to decide your response to it. How could it be that some people go through terrible, terrible things outside of their control And their attitude is, I'm not a victim, I'm a victor. And then some people have petty things happen to them that really aren't a big deal. Man, you would think they were the biggest victim in the world because they've just decided they're a victim. How could this happen to me? I think it's a terrible thing that people are being taught today that victimhood is something to be striven for. There's a modern concept called intersectionality. It's popular in colleges and such. This thinking teaches people that they should identify all the ways they've been oppressed or victimized. What color are you? Well, you're oppressed or you're the oppressor. What gender are you? You're the oppressed or you're the oppressor. How much money do you have? Where do you live? What education do you have? And intersectionality teaches you, you add up all the different ways that you have been victimized or oppressed, and the one who's the biggest victim wins. It's a terrible way to live. Folks, Satan wants you to be a victim. God has called you to be victorious. And perhaps bad things do happen. Difficulties happen to us all. Tragedies are real in this sin-cursed world. 
but you are the one who gets to decide if you're the victim or if you're going to be victorious. And I'm telling you as a Christian, God's called you to be victorious. Let me show you a wonderful verse. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, and look at verse 57. Let's say it together, ready? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's say it together again, ready? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friend, God's given you the victory over the most difficult foe you'll ever face, and that is death. That is hell. But notice it says that thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. God's called you to be victorious. He hasn't called you to fail. He hasn't called you to be a failure or a victim or to just lay down and let life roll over you. Dear friend, count your blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. Did you see that? Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. This is a man who was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was hunted. And he said, listen, I'm not a victim. Don't think bad about me, church. Don't worry bad about me, Christian friend, because Christ has always caused us to triumph. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. Look at Romans chapter 8. Reminding us that God is good things in store. That we can look at this year and say, I'm going to have a good year. Matter of fact, I'm going to have the best year. Maybe trials will come. Maybe difficulties will come. Maybe all the craziness in Washington, D.C. will go on. Maybe maybe Satan uh, wins a few innings out of the game. But we know who's going to win. We're on the winning side. We know the final score. We're not going to lay down and pretend like we're beaten. We are not a defeated foe. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8. <coughs> Powerful verses. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? What's he saying here? Tribulation is exactly that. I mean, tribulation, tough times, distress, that's lack. That is the pressure of lack. Persecution, that's being hunted. Famine, that's not having enough food. Nakedness, that's not having clothes to wear. Peril, that's your life is in danger. Sword, 
That's people are trying to kill you. None of us would say that's a good year. <laughs> Let me tell you something good about it. None of those things will separate you from the love of Christ. Look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Oh, you're being hunted? Yeah, but I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. Oh, you don't have food to eat? You don't have clothes to wear? You don't have a place to live? Oh, yeah, it's true. It's no fun. But I'm not a victim. I'm the victor. Those people trying to kill you. They're hunting you. They would kill you if they could. Yeah, it's true. And one of these days they might catch up with me. But I'm not a victim. I'm not even just a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. See the attitude here? Man, Christians gotta gotta rise up. We gotta stop getting out from under we gotta get out from underneath the circumstances and get on top side. The sun's always shining above the clouds. It may be gray and dark and dim right now. But I promise you, if you and I got in an airplane and we climbed up above this cloud ceiling, you'll find the sun's shining just fine. And God is still in control. And, and we are still on the winning side. And we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Read on. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that your persuasion? Some of you are persuaded, boy, life stinks and it's just going to get worse. Some of you are persuaded, hey, you know what, nothing good ever happens to me. I'm just going to pay taxes and then I die. Man, life's not even worth living. I don't even know why I try. <laughs> what a terrible way to live. Or you could be persuaded today. I mean, you could be moved, convinced that I'm more than a conqueror. God, Christ always causes us to triumph. And he always brings the victory. This is why we should have a good year. Even when God's people are led as lambs to the slaughter, we know that we are more than conquerors in Him. So I say, let's strive to have the best year ever. Why not? Don't lay down. Don't expect a lousy year. Don't just look around at the climate and decide how your life's going to go because of things outside of your control. The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Your sight may tell you, hey man, things are bad. Hey, man, things are difficult. Wow, it's, it's getting bad out there. But the Bible says we're supposed to walk by faith. Yes, those things are true, but I'm going to choose to put my sight on God. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm not going to make decisions about my life and, and, and God and all of these things by the things I see. I'm not going to be discouraged by the things I see. I'm going to live by faith. So we're going to have the best year ever. Now, how do we do that? It's simple, actually. <laughs> it's really simple to have the best year ever. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, 
and all these things shall be added unto you. Here's the truth. Your life will be blessed in direct proportion to how you put Christ first. You put Christ first a little bit, blessed a little bit. Put Christ first a lot, and you're blessed a lot. So the goal is, if we're going to have the best year ever, we're going to strive to put Christ first in every way possible. <clears throat> this truth is mentioned a lot of different ways in your Bible. Let's look at another one. Psalm chapter 1. Same truth, just a little bit different story. How are we going to put God first? Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Why are you letting ungodly people tell you how to live? That's the counsel of the ungodly. Why are you listening to ungodly people? Tell you how to live, what morals to have, what's right and wrong. You want to be blessed. You can't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. You're going to walk in the light of the Lord. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. What are you doing hanging around with sinners? What are you doing at the bar and the casino and all these places? What are you doing at the gentleman's club where there's not a gentleman to be found and, and all these wicked places around here and spending time with sinners? Man, if you'd rather be around sinners than God's people, there's either something wrong with you or the people that you call God's people. God's people should want to be around God's people. You want to have a good year? Stop hanging out with sinners. You want to have a good year? Stop letting ungodly people tell you how to live. Then he says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Who's the scorners? These are the judgmental people. They know everything. They got everything right. Stop sitting in the seat judging everybody about what's right. This, you should have done that. should have done that. He shouldn't have done this. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have done that. What a terrible way to live. What a perverse way to live, to think that you're just judge and jury about everybody's life. <clears throat> now, to be clear, it's not judging someone in a negative way to say, hey, God says that's a sin. Stop it. That's not being judgmental. That's just telling you what the judge said. But boy, if we're not careful, we get a judgmental attitude. Becoming judge and jury and everybody's motives and what they're thinking and what they should have done. and Terrible way to live. But look what he says. But if you want to be blessed, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Watch this. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. <clears throat> this is the Midas touch from God. How would you like to be so blessed that whatever you do turns to gold? Everything you do is successful. Your career? Success. Finances, success, relationships, 
Success. Ministry. Success. This isn't you doing what you want, when you want, why you want, how you want, expecting God to bless it. This is you putting God first like you've never had before. You're not letting ungodly people tell you what to do. You're not hanging out with sinners. You're not being judgmental about everybody. You are humbly striving to obey the Lord, seeking His book, living in His book, trying to please the Lord, and everything you do is blessed. That's a good year. Have the best year ever. Same concept in Joshua chapter 1. Look at Joshua chapter 1. It'll be our final verse. Joshua chapter 1. Same concept to the extent that you put God first. And have the best year ever? Put God first like you never have. The same truth, but this is how God explained it to Joshua. Moses is dead. He's now the leader trying to lead this stiff-necked group of people into the promised land. Look at verse 6. God says to Joshua, be strong and of a good courage. Hey, if you're going to follow God in this wicked world, you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to be courageous. Well, what are they going to think about me? You failed already. <laughs> you know, if that's the way you're thinking in this wicked world, you failed already. You might as well lay down and roll over. You've got to be strong. You've got to be courageous. Look at verse 7. Only be thou strong and very courageous. What kind of courage? What am I having courage for? That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand, nor to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Do you see it? Joshua, you'll be blessed when you are strong enough and courageous enough to do what I've told you to do. And you will be blessed. You will have success in direct proportion to how you obey my word. Same thing is true for us. Folks, if you want to have the best year ever, put Jesus first like you never have before. If you want to have the best year ever, You stop listening to sinners and being sinful and memorize and meditate and study and obey God's word. You want to have the best year ever? Be strong and courageous enough to say, I'm going to do what God says in the midst of a wicked and perverse world. Now, what does that look like? Let me just give you these final thoughts. How do we put God first practically? And I'll just mention these to you. Number one, start each day with God in prayer. You gotta start every day with God in prayer. I mean, if before you even get up, start every day with God in prayer. We have in the back on the table right before the, the double doors, we have a little system that some of you have seen before. It's for beginners. 
called How to Spend 30 Minutes with God. Grab one of these if you're struggling to get into a rhythm of, of praying to God consistently. Grab one of these on your way out. If you want to spend 15 minutes with God, cut this program in half. If you want to spend an hour with God, double it. But this just gives you a program of how you approach God, how you pray, what to pray about, how do you stop praying, all of that. This will be a help to you, but start every day with God. Start every day in the Word of God. Then let me say number two, if you want to be truly blessed, how about you read the whole Bible? <laughs> don't, don't just start the day with God uh, but, and, and read the Bible, but how about you read the whole Bible? Some of you maybe have never read the Bible through in one year. This ought to be the year. Some of you have read the Bible through every year for, for a lot of years. Well, do it again. We have these back here, six-day Bible reading plan back on the back table. Take one of these with you. Six days a week, 12 minutes a day, you can read your Bible through. And be blessed. If you have read the Bible through every day for many years, maybe you need to take the next step. They're not in the back because they're not for everybody. But this is called the Six-Day Bible Reading Plus Plan. This will help you read the Bible through twice this year and the book of Proverbs 12 times in about 25 minutes a day. Some of you are like, dude, (laughs) that's way too much. Well, then you just need to start reading something. Some of you just need to read something every day. Many of you just need to read the Bible through this year. But some of you, if you've read the Bible through for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, maybe take the next step. I'll read the Bible through twice this year. Be be blessed. How do we have the best year ever? Start every day with God in prayer. Start every day in the Bible. How about read the Bible through this year? How do we have the best year ever? Let me encourage you to focus on your relationships. Focus on your relationships. If you're married... How about you cherish that spouse again? Sir, how about you get back to cherishing your wife? Not just loving her, not just providing for her, making her feel like she's the most important woman on planet Earth. You can have a good year. Ma'am, make your husband feel like that he is the most respected man on the planet. You know, you can can get your career, you can have money and savings, but if you have a bad marriage, it's not going to be a very good year, (laughs) right? Focus on your relationships. If you're an aunt or an uncle, focus on those relationships. Be a godly aunt or uncle. Be a godly grandma, grandpa. Be a godly parent. Parents, focus on those kids. Man, they're going to grow up and be gone before you know it. Spend a little extra time with them. Focus on them this year. Turn the TV off. Take a walk outside. Play a board game. Go on a trip. I mean, pay special attention to your loved ones. One of these days, it's not going to matter what kind of clothes you wore or what name brand shoes you wore or what kind of car you drove. It's going to matter. Do the people that you love love you? What a special thing it is to know you're loved. You want to have the best year ever? How about you win someone to Jesus this year? I mean, you just say, hey, with the help of God, it is January 9th. I have 11 and a half months to try to get someone in the kingdom of God. And by the grace of Almighty God, I want to win someone to Jesus this year. (laughs) You you could do that if you wanted. Let me say, lastly, 
There's a lot more I could say, but how about if you reproduce yourself this year? How about you don't just win somebody? How about if your goal was, with the help of God, next January, if Jesus doesn't come back, there's going to be someone sitting in the pew with me that's in church because God used me. Might be a backslidden Christian that you bring back to the fold. Might be someone that you win to Jesus and see baptized and you disciple them. But folks, listen, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. Christians aren't born through natural birth. They must be born again. That means every Christian should make a goal every year that I want to reproduce myself. I want by the grace of God to win someone to Christ and teach him how to be like Jesus so that I can leave people behind. Just like Brother Tony gave the, the wonderful testimony this morning. Don Lewis, good man. I'm glad I got to know him. If you ever been around him, love the Bible, love to pray, love to tell people about Jesus. There's a man sitting in our church today that's here in part because God used Don Lewis years ago to win him to Christ. One of these days, if Jesus tarries when you and I are gone, I wonder if there's going to be anybody left behind. Or maybe they'll just say, wow, he had a nice car. Yeah, he lived in a big house. Now, he was funny. He was pretty. He really knew how to dress. <laughs> or maybe someone could say, that person led me to Jesus. That person taught me how to be a man person taught me how to be a lady. A person taught me to love Jesus. That's the legacy you want. Are you going to be a victim? Are you going to be a victor? You're going to go into this year with your eyes down, beat up and defeated already? Or are you going to say, no, no, no. I know the thoughts God has for me. They are thoughts of peace and not evil, and he's got a plan for my life. I'm going to put him first and see what happens. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for the truth. <clears throat> we pray that you would work on our hearts. Lord, we have a wonderful opportunity to, to have a, an incredible year. Best year ever. That only happens when we put you first. And I pray that each one of us would be challenged in our hearts, not just by my words, but by the Holy Spirit, would be challenged to put you first, strive to honor you and please you. And Lord, that while we strive to deal with all the things out of our control, we know that we could have the best year ever as we put you first like we never have before. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're going to take a moment of invitation. <clears throat> What's your outlook been? And it's, it's okay if you've been a little discouraged. It's okay if you've been sad. It's okay if you've been beat up. We've all been there. But it's your choice whether you stay there. The just man falls seven times. There's no shame in falling, but there is a shame if you choose to stay down. Maybe today you just need to say, hey, by God's grace, it's going to be a good year.
by God's grace, I'm going to put him first like I never have before. Maybe you're here this morning or you're listening and you're not sure you're saved. Make today the day of salvation. We'd love to help you put your faith in Jesus Christ, be born again. Let's encourage one another as we strive to have the best year ever. Let's stand. As the piano plays, the altar's open. If the Lord spoke to your heart, it's meaningful to walk down the aisle, kneel at an altar. Ask God to encourage your heart. Ask God to give you that vision. Help you believe it, to be persuaded. Father, thank you for your plans for us. Thank you that even while we may be going through great difficulty, that we know we're more than conquerors. You've called us to victory. You always call, cause us to triumph. And Lord, your people are never victims. We're always the victors. And I pray that you'd help us to see that, to embrace it, to live like it. And Lord, that we could bring the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, your message of peace and love to a world that is searching for truth and meaning. And Lord, I pray that you give us courage to stand, help us to be strong and very courageous. Help us to make the connection between our our surrender to you and putting you first and the prosperity that we have in our lives. I pray that you dismiss us with your provision, protection. And Lord, we do ask that you'd bless especially our vision night tonight. Help folks to be able to come out. Help us to be able to rejoice in what you've done in the past and what your plans are for our future as a church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we go, let's turn to number 434 in our hymnals. We're going to sing a different closing song for a little bit this year. Number 434, He Keeps Me Singing. We'll just do the first stanza. Number 434, there's within my heart a melody. Think about that chorus, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing. Keeps me singing as I go. First stanza number four, three, four. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus.
Have a great day. <clears throat> Bible reading schedules on your way out. Prayer lists. God bless you. See you tonight.